Amen. Thank you so much, worship team. I love that song, and we're going to be singing that more, The Goodness of God. We know that there's lots gone wrong, but we also know that the goodness of God is right in our world, and we know that He is redeeming all that He has allowed. And last week we looked, we're, we're walking through this whole story of reality. The whole story of reality is what we're looking at all this year, and we're walking through the Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. We're still in Genesis, and we're still in January. And last week we looked at how it all went wrong in the garden. You recall that Eve saw the forbidden fruit, the one tree that God said you're not to eat of, and she saw that it was good for food. She thought, I need that. She saw that it was delightful to the eyes. She thought, I want that. And she saw that it was desirable to make one wise. It's going to make me better, she thought. And so she took it and she ate it. And the world has never been the same because her passive husband, Adam, was right there along with her and took it and ate it as well. And the fall began. And from that fall, the plan of redemption began as well. In Genesis 3.15, there is a mention of Christ, I think, the offspring of the woman. Most people believe that right there in the beginning when all got broken, God was beginning the fixed process. The offspring, which ultimately would be Jesus, would put it all back together, would fix it. And He started that fixing process on the cross. And it's not done yet. It's still in process, even now. And so as we look at uh, Genesis 6 today, I, I just want to kind of bring you up to, where, up to speed to where we are in this whole process and remind you that the punishment of that first fall, the guilt, the condemnation, and the separation from God, centuries later would be we dealt with on the cross by Jesus. But Paul writes about it in Romans 8. Would you hear these words that deal with the guilt and the condemnation and the separation caused by that fall. Paul writes in this great chapter, maybe the greatest in all of Scripture, Romans 8, he says in verse 33, Who dares accuse us? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for His own? No one. There's no guilt, for God Himself has given us right standing with Himself. Who then, verse 34 says, will condemn us. No one. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and He is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. In verse 35, can anyone ever, can anyone ever separate us from the love of God? from Christ's love? And later he answers his own question, no, no condemnation, no guilt, no separation, no despite and all these things. We are overwhelmingly victorious through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced, Paul says, I'm convinced he knows for certain that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, Neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. 
Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I know we're Baptists and all, but you can say a hearty amen to that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know that? We come to this story in Genesis 6 about Noah, and we need to put it in its proper context. As we look at the whole story, we, this is God's judgment in Genesis 6. Now you think, well, I know the story of Noah's ark. I don't know if you looked at it like most of the world. If we look at the, the Old Testament stories, we know about David and, and Goliath, and, and we know about Daniel and the lion's den, and most people know about Noah's ark. Those are the three most common stories that people who don't even know the Bible know about. But sometimes we think, oh, Noah's Ark, what's he going to say about Noah's Ark? I know all about the animals. I know all about this big boat. I even painted it on my child's nursery because my wife wanted me to. And, you know, you think about all those things that we do with those animals and all of that. That really happened, by the way. I mean, we... I, mean, uh, I, I didn't paint, but, but we did decorate the nursery with Noah's Ark. Anybody else? You think that's a cute little thing to do? Well, let's think about it for just a moment. If we were going to do that and do that according to the biblical story, then we've got to have a lot of dead people that are in the, in the flood dying, right? Uh, and we've got to have Noah at the end of the story get drunk. That's not on the mural that you paint on the wall in the kid's nursery, is it? But that's part of the biblical story. Something's gone wrong. And we're going to look at that. And we're going to look at it, and I hope you have a copy of this, because this is a, is a picture of salvation. Now, as we talk about this as a picture of salvation, we look at it, and it's something that we can connect to other folks who are far from God. They have a, some inkling of what Noah's Ark is all about, and then we can, we can show them what God was doing, who God is, and and why he was doing it, because of our, our fallenness and our wickedness. And, and we could see how God provided through the ark and then the, the promise that God made through all of what's going on. So as we look at this, I just want you to see on your outline, that, that's the first blank. It's a, Noah's ark is a picture of salvation. So would you stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word from Genesis 6, beginning with verse 5. We're going to go through verse 13, but I hope you'll have uh, your copy of Scripture. If you don't have a copy, there's a, a black Bible in the, in the chair in front of you. You're welcome to, and you're welcome to even take that home if you need a copy of God's Word. So as we look at Genesis 6 through 9, all, there are four chapters here about Noah. We're just going to look at a few of these verses um, that really are kind of an overview of Noah and some words about Noah. So let's look at them. This, verse 5, the, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. And he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had made them and put them on the earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I will wipe 
this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I'll destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. I am sorry I ever made them, but Noah, but Noah found favor with the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close relationship with God. And Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. And God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on earth was corrupt. So God said to Noah, I've decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. And yes, I will wipe them all out along with the earth. Father, these are hard words. Help us see your plan, your story what you were doing then and what you want to do now. Anoint me, Father, by your Spirit that I may declare your truth from your Word and that people in this place would hear it and not only be hearers of it, but do it and then, Lord, allow you to transform us by it. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you be seated for just a moment as we look at this? I'm going to give you four words. And then uh, for those of you who like your mind to wander, you can come back to those in, in just a moment. I know how it works for some of you in, in a sermon. You're looking at all different sort of things. You've got a little attention deficit dis, disorder. I have a little bit of that too as I preach sometimes, and you can tell that. But let me give you these four words that are on your outline. And then we'll go from there, okay? The first word is this, grief. Four words, Noah's story in four words, grief. And the second word is judgment. The third word is grace. And the last word is promise. So let's just start with grief. Did you notice how what we read started? The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness. Now I wonder as God looks down upon the earth now what he sees the human the, the great extent of human wickedness on the earth and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil consistently and totally evil everything all the time now i mean this this is the sixth chapter of the book it's not that far removed not that many generations we've Lived more generations since Noah than was before Noah, and yet they've already blown it in the garden, and now everything, all the time, is consistently, totally, completely evil. That's what happens when we are left to ourselves and make our own decisions about life. We all go astray. We all do things our own way, and ultimately it ends up to brokenness. It ultimately ends up to wickedness. It ultimately ends up, there are two words that I want you to see here, corruption and violence. Now, do you think we live in a world of corruption and violence? 
Do you think as we look at our world that things have really changed in human nature to the point where we don't deserve God's judgment? Wow. That's a word that we don't want to hear from the pulpit. God's judgment. We want to get to number three already. Grace. But before we get there, we have to understand what grieves God's heart or what breaks his heart as this passage tells us that God is sorry that he's ever made humankind. Now, the making of man is not what he's sorry about. It's what man has made of himself that he's sorry about. Remember, when God creates mankind, he says it's good. It's, in fact, the response is of, of the creation of man is that it is it is very good. Now, very good in Genesis 1 has become so corrupt that God has to wipe it all out by Genesis 6. And we think, do the, is the way we are living now, do we still break God's heart like the folks in Noah's day? Does it grieve him the way... Did, Let's just not talk universally or nationally. Let's just talk personally for just a moment. The things we fix our attention and affection on, are they godly? Because what's going on in Noah's day is wickedness. Jesus later, and we're going to look at it in, in Matthew 24, says they're not only wicked, but they're just distracted and oblivious to what's going on in the world. Is that relevant? For you and me, at times in our lives, at many moments during the week, do we live in such a way that God could say, there is someone who walks with me, there is someone who is righteous, and blameless like Noah, or do we live like people outside the ark? People who are distracted and oblivious and wicked even. So we look at how we grieve the, the Lord's heart, and we've got to ask ourselves, which one are we living more like? The one guy, Noah, or the many? The crowd. Let's look at the second part. That It doesn't get much better. In verse 7 talks about this for just a moment. The Lord says, I'm going to wipe you out. This whole human race I've created on the face of the earth, and I'll destroy every living thing. Now, we could get distracted about why he includes the animals that are not on the ark and that destruction, but it, we just you just got to say it's so broken, he's got to start all over. He's just wiping it all out. A clean slate of judgment. And lots of people would ask, well, how can a loving God Bring judgment upon people. And I would say it's because he's loving. That he wants us to see there's a better way. And he wants us to turn from our own way, to turn to him. All sin's going to be judged, ultimately, sooner or later. We know that in this life, sin has certain consequences. We don't do things God's way. There's always a price to pay. And we're going to experience some of those consequences. You've experienced some of those consequences with poor choices already in your life. We don't need to go into detail. I don't want to have a testimony to that because every one of us are in the same boat. We all have to recognize our need 
for a Savior. That's what's going on in the first section here. When God is, is grieving, we've got to recognize we grieve the heart of God that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that the truth is there's a judgment for that sin, and the Scripture says the wages or the price to be paid for that sin is death. God never wanted us to die. God wanted us to live forever. And every funeral I do, I'm reminded that's not God's intention. To have a body in a coffin. God's intention that we have breath in our lungs and live with Him forever. And yet the judgment that He pronounces upon sin is ultimately death. And Revelation talks about a, a second death. Not only a physical death, but a, a spiritual death in a place called hell. That's where sin ultimately gets judged. It's a real place. Heaven means nothing without the reality of hell. It wasn't created for you. God doesn't send people to hell. God created hell for the the devil and his demons, but people choose to go there because they say, I don't want to have anything to do with God. And so ultimately, God gives them their desire, and they end up there eternally separated from God. We don't want that for anybody in this place or anybody in this community or anybody, period. But that's the judgment. And God is justified in judging this world we see in Roman in Noah's day, in this passage. And we look at it, and we think how difficult it must be as God's heart is grieved to bring about that judgment. They say the worst pain in life is losing, losing a child. Could you imagine God creating everything, the pristineness of humanity, and then being grieved that the humanity he created is no longer in his image? And having to destroy that because of his justice. Think about it this way for just a moment. Why does, why does God bring about judgment? Because God wants a greater good for all of humanity, for all of mankind. He will allow certain pain to produce a greater good or prevent a greater evil. It's like a person who goes and, and takes chemotherapy to get rid of the cancer. You, if you find out you have stage 4 cancer, you're going to do anything the doctor tells you to do to get rid of that stuff. You're going to go to MD Anderson or you're going to listen to what they do and, and, and you're going to take that awful chemotherapy. Some of you have gone through that and you know how sick that stuff makes you, but you'll do anything to get rid of that enemy of cancer. And God sometimes allows the pain in our life to produce a greater good and prevent a greater evil. That's what the cross does. You see... We look at this cross and how beautiful that cross is, but that's not what the cross was. The old rugged cross was an instrument for execution and for humiliation and for torture. And someone took our judgment on that cross. And all of the pain and humiliation that we deserve, because of our sin, because we grieve the heart of God, was placed on Him in our place. And I heard it whispered, but you can say it aloud, thank you, Jesus, 
He took our place. That's the gospel. That's why he came. To seek and to save those who are lost. To testify to the truth of God's law. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see this picture? Noah, the, the grief and then the, the judgment, and then verse 8, the grace. Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. It said later on in the passage, he's the only one that's righteous. I don't know why God chooses Noah, but it, it seems to me that in the context here, he's the only one on all the face of the earth that's walking with God. It says he's righteous and blameless. Is that why God chooses him? He chooses him not because Noah deserved to be chosen, but because of his grace. Now, the righteousness and the blameless play a part, but not the complete picture. Because we see in this story uh, later on in Hebrews eleven seven, as Noah is talked about there among the members of the Hall of Fame of Faith, it says it was by faith that Noah built a, a large boat to save his family from the flood. And he obeyed God who warned him about things that had never happened before. And by his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, I want you to see this because I think it's crucial. People all over the world think that they're covered from God's judgment if they'll just do good things and let the good that they do outweigh the bad that they do. How good is good enough? You can't be good enough. There's a place for good deeds. Don't get me wrong. But that place is after you've received God's righteousness by faith. After you ex exchange your sin for Jesus' righteousness, then you begin to let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God. But don't get those in reverse order. You don't earn your way to God. God, by His grace, does something for you that you cannot do for yourself. And God did not have to extend favor upon Noah, even though Noah was the only one on the face of the earth who was a friend of God at that moment. God chose to use him. And Noah later on, after the flood and after God saved him through the flood, ends up drunk and naked. Look at the rest of the story in Genesis 9, 20 through 27. Make sure your children are of age before you look at that. God always uses broken figures throughout the scripture to bring about his salvation and point people toward the ultimate one who's perfect. That's the story, the whole story of reality. Think about it with me for just a moment. Noah's a drunkard. Abraham later will be a liar. He'll lie about his wife, a man of great courage. He doesn't want to get executed, so he says she's his sister when she's really his wife. He doesn't tell a complete lie. She was his half-sister. That's a whole nother sermon, a whole nother story. And so as we look at that, 
think about that. But Abraham was a liar. And then as you walk through the, the scripture with me for just a moment, even in the book of, of Genesis, Joseph is a spoiled brat. And later on, you see uh, Jacob is a, a deceiver, a cheater. You got Moses, who's a murderer in the Old Testament. You got David, who's an adulterer. And then you jump to the New Testament, you got Peter, who's a coward. You got Paul, who is a self-righteous religious nut. And then you got John, who is a, a power-hungry position seeker, the Apostle John. God doesn't use any of them in their own merit. But God uses all of them to point to the one perfect one. Jesus. And by His grace, we have an opportunity to put our faith in Him so no matter how bad things get, they can get worse. No matter what the outlook is for the future, the outlook in the past is pretty bleak. But we also know that there is one who has saved us from all of there is one who's taking care of the big things. Our sin. Our brokenness. And he is in the process even now of restoring us. Redeeming us. Saving us. So as we look at the promise in chapter 8 verse 21. If you still got your Bible open toward Genesis. I want you to see this. We think about the promise with Noah, and we think about this rainbow, don't we? What a beautiful thing it is when we see after the, the wonderful rains, that rainbow. It just reminds us of the presence of God. It reminds us that there is a promise that's greater than the judgment of God, the destruction of humanity. There is a promise coming that points toward the redemption of, of all mankind. But look at the verse for just a moment. After they come off the ark, and there are a lot of details that obviously we can't cover about Noah and the ark, just a, just a little uh, word. You think about some of those things. Don't get too bogged down in the fact that all these animals are on that ark for, for so long, and don't try to think about what they do with all the manure, and don't think about the 30, 35,000 different animals that could possibly fit on that ark, and you, you can go visit that ark or a replica of that ark in Kentucky. Miss Ann Conley can tell you all about that. that. That may be fascinating, but don't miss the message. And the message is this. There's a promise here. And the promise has to do with the failure of the flood. You see, God starts over. Wipes it all out like Isaiah 1, 18 would talk about. We, they're like, we come together, all of us come together. The reason our sin is like, like crimson and he'll wash it. White as snow. It's a fresh start, a clean slate with Noah, right? But it doesn't take very long to realize the sin virus is still around. And Noah's not the answer. Jesus is. See what he says? After the ark, the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice that Noah makes after the ark and said to himself, I'll never again curse the ground 
because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent toward evil. This is after the flood. I'm not going to curse the world anymore. Even though everything they still think or imagine is bent toward evil from youth, from their childhood, I'll never again destroy all things. Wouldn't you think all living things? Wouldn't you think God would say, I'm not going to destroy the earth because they're going to do better this time. I'm not going to wipe them out again because they're going to do better. He doesn't. He recognizes the destruction of evil is not the answer. That destroying His creation is not the answer. But providing redemption. The fixing of it all is and that happens. That happens through Jesus. There's a greater promise than destroying the earth. It's saving it. It's John 3.16. For God so loved the world, the cosmos, all of His creation that He gave. Even in our brokenness, His one and only Son. He demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were, were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, here's the plan. The, the plan of salvation. We recognize our need. We know our, our sin is going to be judged, but by His grace, we're saved, and by His love, it's demonstrated on the cross, we're saved. But you've got to receive the gift. Grace is a gift that must be received. The promise must be claimed. So here it is. Jesus Christ is the ark of salvation. Because when you get in Jesus, you're saved from the wrath of God, the waters of His judgment. He lifts you up. There's a, a direct parallel. It's pointing toward, I think, toward, toward Jesus. He's the one. Just like the ark saved Noah and his family, Jesus saves you and me. As we receive the gift of God's grace, as we receive, receive the gift of God's salvation, His atonement, His mercy toward us. So have you done that? There's some in this place I know that have never done that, never said it's time to do that. Jesus talks about ultimately when that needs to happen. And it needs to happen before He comes back, and the truth is we don't know when He's coming back, so it needs to happen now. You need to get things right with Him now. Jesus talks about Noah in Matthew 24, 37 through 39. When the Son of Man returns, He says, it will be like... It was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. And people didn't realize. You see, they were oblivious. They were so 
caught up in the luxury and pleasure-seeking. Does it sound familiar at all? They didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them away. That's the way it's going to be when the Son of Man comes. They're not going to be ready because the ultimate judgment of sin is going to happen when He returns. But that will happen before then if we go before He comes back. Hebrews 9, 27 and 28, hear this. And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment. And also Christ was offered once for all time, even for Noah's day and for ours as well, as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins. He's already done that on the cross. But to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for Him. I don't know about you, but there was a time when I was younger, maybe less mature in my faith, and I didn't want Jesus to come back because I'd be embarrassed over the way I was living life. And I didn't want him to come back because I still had a lot of fun to have in life. But that day's gone for me, and I hope it is for you. I'm eagerly awaiting for him to come back. I'm ready for all this junk to be removed, and I'm ready for the way he created eternity, the way he created creation in the first place to take place. And that's going to happen for me one day in heaven, but it could happen one day even before that as He comes back because I know I'm eagerly awaiting now. I want you to know that you have gotten on the boat, that you're on the ark, that you have accepted Christ as your salvation. Run to the ark. Run to Jesus. And you too, whoever you are, whatever you've done, you too live forever experience life eternal if you've never done that I want you to do it today we're going to give you an opportunity in just a moment as we sing I surrender all you give yourself to Jesus and if you have done that then you be a part of the warning crew right that's our job that's what Noah was doing a hundred years before it ever rained a hundred years before he ever set sail on the ark he was telling folk, God's judgment's coming. They didn't pay attention. They might not pay attention to you either, but it's still our job. It's still our cause. It's still our mission. We want people to get on the boat with us. Not the sin boat. They're already there. The salvation boat. Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father. What a gift. What a gift you've given us. Lord, I know in the midst of this broken world, we still have hope because you are faithful to keep your promises. Always faithful. And that means we have the hope of heaven and that means we have the hope of eternal life because of what you've done through Jesus. And that means that even in the midst of the dark days 
we might be experiencing here on earth, whatever, whenever, that we get glimpses of what you're doing and glimpses of eternity with you. Father, help us. Help us put aside all distractions and pay attention to what you're doing in our day. And use the hardships and suffering and pain that this world brings for a greater good, to prevent even a greater evil. People separated from you for eternity. The greater good of living with you, for you, for eternity. Use us, Lord. In the power of your strong name we pray, Jesus. Amen.